written out of a father's broken heart over the potential um, life-ending illness of their child. Didn't end that way, but when the writer from Mercy Me wrote that song, their family was facing the potential of their child dying. But he said, even if, even if. Could I sing that? Could I say that? Just 40 days. Just 40 days. That's what Lent is. It's 40 days. And in 40 days, we're going to gather together and we're going to stand at the empty tomb and we are going to know and think about a place where a dead man's gone missing in 40 days. But between now and Easter, we will simply spend some time at the cross. Now, if you didn't receive one of these when you came in, a little wooden cross, you'll receive one when you're going out the door, along with a little bookmark that has the Lord's Prayer on it, place where you can put some prayer requests for this next 40 days. But we're giving everyone in our church one of these little wooden crosses to have all through Lent. And what we want you to do with this is we want you to bring this every week to church. And if you forget, you'll have, we'll have extras and we'll give you another one. But we want everyone to have one of these in church, during church, to be thinking about the cross and then to be taking it with you wherever you're going through the week be thinking about being at the cross with Jesus. Our journey partner in all of that is going to be the gospel writer Luke as we look at some of the parts of the gospel of Luke because in Luke, the theme that runs all through the gospel of Luke is Jesus is trying to get to Jerusalem. He is trying to find his way over and over as you see it constantly it's pointing him in the direction to Jerusalem to be at the cross but today we're going to begin where no one wants to go no one wants to go no one wants to go into the desert to be alone with the devil no one and so we read these words Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Whenever we come into this passage of Scripture, it's a very uncomfortable passage of Scripture, an uncomfortable scene for us. We we wrestle with this, what is happening here. The public ministry of Jesus begins with him facing down the wilderness, and the piercing temptations of Satan. But I want you to notice a few things right at the front. First of all, you need to know, when you look at this, this is Holy Spirit time. Notice that. Luke reminds us that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He he had just been baptized, and God the Father had shouted his encouragement from heaven. And and Luke, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He had just heard those words. He had just had his identity so confirmed. 
Jesus was walking in the full Holy Spirit power. And then Jesus was, the text tells us, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is full of the Spirit, and Jesus is now led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And I ask this question, I say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit life that we want, does it? We've done a grave disservice at times talking about the Christian faith to people. And sometimes we've told people that if they would just give their life to Jesus, you know, life would be great and wonderful and everything would be good. And sometimes maybe we haven't been as truthful with the reality of life in the Spirit, what it means to live for Him. Because when you are full of the Spirit, sometimes you are led to hard places. Sometimes you end up in a wilderness. And so led by the Spirit, we join Jesus in the wilderness. But what do we find there? Well, this isn't a desert scene from spaghetti western movie with cactus and desert and all that kind of stuff, tumbleweeds moving everywhere. No, this was a place where people avoided. For them, the wilderness was a place of rocky cliffs and crevices. It was the hunting ground of wild beasts, and the people thought it was the hunting ground of raging demons. It was the place where thieves would hide for one purpose, and that was to kill and to steal and destroy. That was the wilderness. It was the place that people avoided like the plague. No one wanted to go to the wilderness But what do we find there this morning? Well, we find a small foretaste of the hell that will be unleashed on Jesus at the cross. And it seems, as we look at the Gospels, right here, the battle begins. It's the ultimate plot. It's the good versus evil. It's the life versus death. It's the ultimate plot But this isn't a plot in a Hollywood script meant for the Oscars. This is the plot that winds its way through the life story of Jesus and it lands in one place at the cross. But this is also the plot of our lives. All of our lives, whether you're a believer or you're a non-believer, if you're faithful or skeptic, we all live out parts of this plot where we live in our own wilderness, where temptation is real, and where we fight our own daily, daily battles against the voices that pull us towards the temporal and the powerful and the proudful, just like Adam and Eve. We are pulled back to the garden to be tempted to trust in ourselves or to trust in some forbidden fruit and there's plenty of that or to trust in the subtlety of the snake's voice and you know snakes come in all shapes and sizes making all kinds of outsized promises of health and wealth and prosperity and power and prestige and false hope and pretend glory can you think of some snakes in our world. But let's see what we find 
in the wilderness. And as we enter there, let's not make this mistake that we often do when we look at this text. We often come to this and we think, I'm going to figure out what are the quick steps to overcome temptation. Give me a couple steps, Jesus. We're so pragmatic. Give me some steps that will help me overcome temptation. That's not what this is about. So let's not give in to that temptation and let's see what the voices of the snake say. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Well, you know what? That's really like hitting below the belt, don't you think? When it comes to Jesus right now. Jesus has not had a bite to eat in 40 days. He's hungry. But who says the devil fights fair? In our case and in our day, we are tempted with the reliance on the temporal. It is found in immediacy. We want what we want when we want it, and we don't want to wait for it. So the tempter sneaks in and makes sure that we are aware of what others have that we don't have. Make sure that we get focused on the temporal things that do not last, and we give them more value than they really have. Or maybe it's the temptation to focus on the, our temporal comforts or our health or our blessings. And when those are removed or threatened, where do we turn when our faith has been in that which does not last? Where do we then turn? Whether that is the things we own or the mortal body that houses our eternal souls, when that breaks down and when we hit our Job moment and we think we lose everything, where do we turn? And our reliance on the temporal betrays us. Where do we turn? But a question comes to my mind. I wonder, how else do we learn reliance on God than in the places where the temporal breaks down? And then we hear this voice. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Isn't this appealing if you had the power right now, if, if this morning, if, if today's altar call was about getting all the power you could ever want to be in control of anything or everyone, here's an example. If you could leave here today and say, I have the power to change the United States to what I want it to be. Amen. <laughs> right? Okay. Think about it. Think about it. That's, we go, yeah, yeah. But let's bring it down to where... What about the power to control my family? Or the power to control my kids? Or my parents? You see, there's an appeal here. There's an appeal to have control. It's the appeal of control. Clear and simple, we are tempted with power, but we use another word. We want to be in control. Same thing. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, but let's not confuse that with this. This is the temptation 
for controlling power rather than loving trust. So we want to seize control, especially in the wilderness where things are out of our control. At least I know I'm tempted to want to try to control it, especially in the wilderness. So we try to fix the circumstances, or we try to fix the people, or we try to fix ourselves. Or we even try to fix God into the kind of God that we want to do what we want in the wilderness. And when we can't, we hear the howls in the wilderness. I, I think Henri Nouwen's words are still wise when he says, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people, easier to own life than to love life. So I'm pressed with the question, can I love God enough to release to him control? Can I release control to him? And then we hear this voice. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. There it is. Jerusalem's always in sight. In Luke, when we're talking about Jerusalem, we're talking about one ultimate destination and that's the cross. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's easy that Dan Boone, easy, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that Dan Boone points out this week in our devotional that the devil stops there because you see the next verse in Psalm 91 says that the serpent's head will be crushed. So how interesting is it? I, and, and, and I do imagine Jesus going, hey, hey, hey. you don't want to say the rest, do you? Right? Because that's, that's really what, where he stops. But this, this, you see, this is an allurement. This powerful picture, the one where Satan misrepresents God with his own word, is the lure of the impressive. The amazing, the spectacular, the brilliant. This is a great temptation for all of us in the Western Hemisphere, especially in our country, in our culture, in our society. In a world where bigger is better. In a world where beautiful is better. In a world where we judge people by their body size or the car they drive or the house they live in. The bigger, the better. The more impressive. We are sucked into celebrity and fame. We are discipled by this. We are discipled with this message of external reward and popular recognition, even if it's a moment of fame with our own social media presence. We can get caught up in this in the church. We, we make the faith more impressive through the externals and how everything looks. We want the pastor to be more like the celebrity pastors, and so we compare the Sunday morning gathering with maybe what we hear on a 
radio show or a podcast or a TV show. And the truth is, most flesh and blood pastors can't even come close to any of that. But that's what we do. We, we compare all of that to the impressive. We want worship to entertain us and to be spectacular and to somehow be impressive. But I wonder, is this the faith of the one who says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted? So, so the question is, what are the alluring externals that compromise the essential eternal? As the force of the devil's temptation buffets Christ, we feel discomfort, but we also feel familiarity. These temptations are to do life apart from relationship with God. Pulled to the secular, pulled to the prosperous, pulled to the notable. But we also feel commonality with the king of the universe. And what we witness in his wilderness is what we hope for in our own wilderness. Whether tempted to sin or tempted to give up or tempted to trust in self more than God or tempted to be something without him. We hope the outcome of our wilderness will be like his because Jesus Christ kicks the devil in the teeth. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Bam, bam, bam. But notice this. Jesus could have blasted the devil to smithereens. And he didn't. Why did he not give the devil his due once and for all? Because this was not about power or about evil. This wasn't about something that wasn't good for Jesus. In fact, Quite to the contrary, all these temptations weren't bad. All these things actually seem pretty good. Bread when you're hungry for 40 days. Power to change the world. Right? Being someone of prominence. Think about the following he really could have had, huh? All these things aren't bad. But as Sharon Ling said, could even good things lure Jesus from a focus on God's will and for us or lure believers into following a more comfortable Messiah? We want to follow Jesus. That is, until we're led by the Spirit into the wilderness with Jesus. Where sometimes it's really hard and it's not warm and fuzzy and it's and the wind howls. And it seems like God is absent. Life is hard. But this is what's really going on here. I guess you could say this is the big idea. 
Jesus refused to exercise his power out of his own self-interest. The lessons here aren't, well, if we just memorize the scriptures enough, or if we just do this, we just speak the scriptures out to the devil and he'll flee and all that. No, no, no. The lesson is this. Jesus refused to use power for his own self-interest. His focus was exclusively in service to loving God and loving people. So the question I ask myself, two of them, one tempted, will I allow good things to lure me away from God's will? Will, will, I, will I not give in to the temptation to focus on self-interest? Now, you know, we all know that Jesus and the devil will meet again at the cross. The day at the cross that Jesus overcame so that we can overcome. But they will meet again. And so, verse 13 says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, the devil thought that the cross was the opportune time, just as he thought the wilderness was. But the cross of Christ teaches us something about wildernesses. They seem, the wilderness seems like the devil's opportune time, right? When we are going down in defeat due to wrong choices or overwhelming doubts or temptations or something we think is the next best thing for our lives. We're going down and we're caught in the wilderness. But those wildernesses we all trudge through are not the devil's opportune time. The cross teaches us the wilderness is our opportunity. Because remember what I said at the beginning? This is Holy Spirit time. He is full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading him. And the wildernesses are our opportunity because God is with us in the midst of that. The wilderness. No one wants to go to the wilderness on our own. But we walk into the wildernesses of life all the time. But we walk into it with Jesus. Or better said, Jesus walks into it with us. Amen? This is how the book of Hebrews puts it. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Because he himself suffered when he was being tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So today we gather around this table. This table of thanksgiving. The word Eucharist comes from the Greek term for thanksgiving. The Lord's feast for our souls. This place where we look to the cross, but we come with gratitude. The wilderness teaches us that Jesus understands. But the wilderness of the cross shows us that Jesus wins. 
that Jesus is our victor, that Jesus defeats the power of the devil in the wilderness of sin and brokenness and pain and heartache. So as we come to the table this morning, we invite you to come with your temptations. Bring your temptations to Jesus. Come in confession of soul and determination of faith to follow Jesus even through the wilderness of temptation. The temptations of sin, the temptations to give up, the temptations to doubt. Come. Find forgiveness in the power of the cross where sin and death's grip was broken. Thanks be to God. Now the battle's begun. But the good news is, He is with us, even in the wilderness. I invite you to stand with me this morning as our pastors come, as we prepare for communion. And I invite you today to pray with me. Lord, we want to thank you today for the beauty and the power of your cross. And we thank you, Lord, for the truth that even in the darkest wilderness, you go with us. And ultimately, the lesson of the wilderness temptations is the same lesson of the cross. You would not use your power for self-interest, but only to serve God and people. And as we come to this table, we recognize that at the cross you served us. You served mankind. And so, Lord, we come to you today. We come to you with our temptations, confessing to you our weakness. And we come today trusting you to forgive us of our sins, trusting you to be our strength in the dark place, trusting you to be with us as we trust you. Now, Lord, speak to us even through this table, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with me this morning. May we go even into the wilderness. For there we know one who's gone before us to gain victory over temptation and sin and to be with us even in the darkness. Let us go with the one who goes with us, Christ Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Greet one another in his name. God bless you. You're dismissed.